Hey Mariana, Camden and I are in the Chickabull Forest in Belize. We're in a tower that's about a hundred feet off the ground and above the rainforest canopy and it's literally just endless rainforest. Um, we can see into Guatemala, the sun setting, there's parrots and toucans flying around. Even got some of the warblers that... Oh, uh, and uh, some raptor. It's... Uh, bye. <laughs> okay, sorry. That was exciting. That was a juvenile king vulture, which is our first one of the trip, and that is definitely a lifer for me. So that was pretty exciting. But as I was saying, there's a lot of warblers here that we see in the United States, including magnolia warbler, which I've been seeing a lot of, um, which is just awesome because... The entire population is down here in Central America, so. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Conservation Chronicles. This is Mariana here with Jonah. How's it going, Jonah? <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Back from a... Another short break, because I was in Belize for two weeks, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And all I can say is that I'm not happy to be home, um, <laughs> but I'll expound on that in a moment. What's new with you, though? Um, definitely did not have the adventures you had over January. Um, nowhere close to, <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing really new. I've been more involved with the this conservation alliance that I joined here. So I've been doing that, just kind of getting stuff done and um, and doing the work with kids. Actually, I've been going to schools. I don't I don't think I was doing this the last time I recorded, but I'm going to, into schools now to talk about skulls and adaptations with kids and it's actually a lot of fun um so and kids love that kind of stuff we have um a couple of real skulls but mostly replicas um and like i i just talked to them about how you can infer what an animal eats what a mammal eats um from its dentition and and kind of just other things about the skull Mostly dentition, but I also talk about the eye sockets, things like that, that that will tell you what that animal is, or at least what it eats, what its ecology might be. And um, yeah, so the kids are really like, they catch on really quick up here. They're really that's bright. Cool. So, um, and they seem to really enjoy it. So yeah, that's, that's mostly what I've been doing lately. Um, yeah, that's, oh, Oh, um, so the other day I was actually snowshoeing with the kids. I'm also doing that too. So because it's it's snowed a ton here in Los Alamos. So we do, we take them out snowshoeing and I was doing that. And one of the parents, one of the chaperones told me that he saw a prairie dog up at um, my research site at the VCMP, the Vice Cotter National Preserve, up at the entrance station there. That was uh, John and my old research site. And this guy said he saw a prairie dog up there. Uh, this was like two weeks ago. And the prairie dogs um, up here in northern New Mexico are Gunnison's prairie dogs, and they are hibernating currently. So we, John had heard stories from rangers, from the park rangers there, about 
seeing prairie dogs popping up over winter sometimes. Um, but it's just not something that we've collected any data on. Um, but this guy said he saw a coyote walking around and like sniffing um, in the in the snow. And a few feet from it, a, a head popped up. And it was a prairie dog had popped up <laughs> right through the snow. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it was really it was really interesting. So um, anyway, so that was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool to hear, especially because I've been missing the prairie dogs since they've been underground and I haven't been up to the park because it's been closed. And actually, I didn't even ask him how he was in there. Maybe he jumped the fence or something. <laughs> Probably illegally. <laughs> Maybe. Because that particular part of the park is closed to vehicle traffic. But, oh, oh, currently. I mean, was closed to vehicle traffic during the shutdown. It's usually open. But there's like a big gate at the road. Anyway, whatever. That doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is... <laughs> the point is he was there to see the prairie dog and that was really cool. Hmm. Um, but that is literally the most exciting thing that happened to me. And it didn't even happen to me. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it happened to somebody else. <laughs> just start selling it as your story. Yeah, I should. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, yeah, but everybody wants to hear about your January adventures. Oh yeah. But, but wait, but before, before we do that, um, mm-hmm. I want to just talk about one um, piece of news that I saw recently because it's really exciting and really cool. And, you know, we had an episode on technology and we like to talk about technology in the wildlife field. And this one's really awesome. Um, So this was an article from Manga Bay and it was about um, what they're calling like a squid Fitbit. Which is basically this new technology that's being used for studying soft-bodied invertebrates. So, since 2015, researchers at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute have been developing and experimenting with something that they call an invertebrate tagging system, or iTag, which are basically tags designed to collect data from soft-bodied invertebrates, particularly squid and jellyfish, is what they're working on currently. And the eye tags are different from traditional radio or GPS transmitters in that they only last a few hours to a few oh. days. Yeah, wow. Just because of constraints with battery weight and things. Mm-hmm. Um, however, during this short period, the units are intensively recording data Um, such as movement direction, acceleration, water temperature, or habitat light that can kind of um, give you a better idea of behavior of these animals and and more just about their general ecology. And so that's kind of why they call it a squid Fitbit because it collects all that information. And the units are, are still in the development and experimentation phase, because it requires pretty rigorous experimentation. Um, but since they began, the technology has advanced. And so they're, you know, able to make the units a lot smaller and, you know, get around some issues that they had, you know, three or four years ago. And as the technology continues to prove, the units are definitely going to provide marine biologists with sort of an un unprecedented ability to learn about the life life history of ocean invertebrates like 
squid and jellyfish. Um, so it, we'll definitely put the link to that article in the show notes because there's definitely more information there and you can see some pictures of what they look like and read about how they're attached. But it's really cool. I, I, th- I think it's really cool that they're able to do this because I guess I never really thought about how we have this huge knowledge gap for those kind of species. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's really cool too. And it, it, the thing about the battery, that seems to be such a constraint for a lot of research that we try to do with things like this, even on transmitters that aren't so um, small and light, the battery is almost always the, uh, the factor that, I don't know, the um, limiting, the limiting factor. Yeah. Um, And in this, it's just insane. Um, Yeah. uh, Just imagine (laughs) like the weight of a little squid is lighter than, you know, transmitters that are put on other animals. It's just such a tiny little thing. And for it to only last a few hours, um, I mean, you're getting a lot of information, but Mm -hmm. it's a lot of work for just, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) couple hours of information but it's still cool and like i said it's gonna it's just going to continue to advance yeah it will yeah hopefully battery technology will continue to advance too um and that'll help it along but that's really cool yeah um okay belize so much to talk about um so i'm just gonna start off with some advice for everyone that's listening just stop what you're doing book a flight to Belize and just never come back <laughs> because that's what I wanted to do after being there for two weeks. Wow. <laughs> um, like there was honestly a split second because I also had some airline issues when I was departing uh. that gave me the option to not, well, one of my options was to not take the flight home. And for a oh. split second, I just, consider just saying screw it to everything <laughs> just staying there Jonah disappears and believes <laughs> but alas I did not do that unfortunately yeah um but I mean just everything about it there is amazing really the only things that I can well to narrow it down to just how amazing it is like there's really only two things that me and anyone should dislike about Belize and it's high gas prices and chiggers which are um you know like little biting mites yeah that don't affect everyone but they affect me and they just wrecked my body oh no (laughs) um oh also bot flies which are you know like the larvae grow under your skin yes and I'm Almost positive I have one currently no way, on where? my back. Oh, okay. <laughs> on my back. <laughs> Under my eye. <laughs> Would that be more exciting? <laughs> um, but I, it's still yet to be determined. But it it's not going away like all my other insect bites. And like every once in a while it stings. So anyways, stand Whoa. by on that. <laughs> You're just like fascinated right now. <laughs> it's not cool okay yeah no it's definitely no i i i'm fascinated because i have experience with bot flies not the ones that that will attack people or burr themselves into people but um up in maine when i was doing all the small mammal trapping um every year that i did it i found bot flies in the mice 
And you, I mean, some of these. I think I was with you one day when we found them. Okay, at Wells yeah. Beach. Oh and, god. Oh man, just crazy. Yeah. You could. You could if they were advanced enough, you Oof. could see their little face in the hole. Oh. <laughs> Horrifying, like it nightmare things, stuff of yeah. nightmares. Don't look this up, people. Do Let's just say that it it's up. a larvae that's in your skin. Yeah, just trust us. Don't look it up. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. I remember finding some at deer check stations in Maine, like in the oh, noses yeah. of deer. Ugh. And those are like huge, like caterpillar-like oh, larvae. Man. Oh. And like when I was reading about botflies in Belize, like that's all I could imagine was just <laughs> that under my skin, like a caterpillar oh, under my skin. But it's not that big. Yeah. But um, I mean, I watched one get pulled out of one of my friends down there and uh, he was like, a grown man screaming. Oh, <laughs> but man. it comes out like a tiny, like a grain of sand. But imagine a grain of sand coming out of like a pore uh-huh. in your skin. Right, right. Yeah. <gasps> okay. Anyways. <laughs> well, I hope it's not a botfly, but it'd be really cool if it were. <laughs> uh, no, it would not. <laughs> it be, might be cool for everyone but me. <laughs> yeah, everyone but you. Um. Anyways, yeah, so just, I guess, biting insects and high gas prices are the only thing to dislike down there. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else, the wildlife, the scenery, the people are just some of the best I've ever experienced. Um, yeah. So Camden was down there with me for the first week, and then the second week I was on my own. Oh. Um, well, not really on my own, because I actually made some good friends and was helping with some bird banding down there. Cool. But um, anyways, Camden was only there for the first week. And in the two weeks, I covered probably like a third of the country um, because it's so small. Mm-hmm. But I really only stuck to the interior. Like I, I spent about 30 minutes walking along the ocean in Belize City and picked up a few birds. But... Um, other than that, I didn't touch any of the coastal environment or the islands. That's like for next trip because that alone is just a trip in and of itself. Um, yeah. yeah, so just lots of rainforest. Um, I spent six of my 14 days there at a place called Coxcomb Basin Wildlife Sanctuary, which is sort of one of the jewels of Belize. And it's like known as being the world's first uh, wildlife sanctuary, like specifically designated for jaguars. Mm. And there's actually a pretty good sized population of jaguars there. And they advertise jaguars a lot. And so people like go there and expect they're going to see a jaguar. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, Which we did not see a jaguar there, but I did see a jaguar somewhere else. Spoiler. Um, We'll talk about that in a bit but it anyways coxcomb is just this amazing um huge area of rainforest that if you're in belize and you're interested in wildlife like you definitely have to go there um especially birds because the bird watching there is just insane um Mm. and anyways we, we basically spent every waking moment in search of wildlife from dawn to, you know, after darkness. And it um, 
was very productive because because we put ourselves in situations to see a lot of wildlife. Yeah. Which a lot of people that I met there were just like, tell me where you saw a toucan. And like, they just wanted to only go and see that. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like comparing, um, just like for an outline for this episode, comparing our notes on your Germany trip. Oh, yeah. And sort of in contrast to what you were talking about, how like you wanted to see Marmot or whatever, I didn't really go in with any expectations. And I think uh-huh. that what made it better for me because um, I didn't, I wasn't going to be disappointed. Like I was going to be surprised no matter what because I didn't have expectations. Yeah. And I think that that's like the best way for me. That's like how I'm going to do it when I travel now because it was just so much more enjoyable because I've definitely gone places before where you're like, I'm going here to see this specifically and you might be disappointed, you know? Mm -hmm. So because I didn't have any expectations, it just made it so much better for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, So we saw, well, besides birds, Saw lots of mammals, um, ocelot on foot. We were walking at night, which on ocelot's like a small spotted cat, if you don't know. Um, I saw lots of black heller monkeys, um, saw a red brocket deer, which is a really small type of deer that's native to Central and South America. Um, common opossums we actually saw on our first night, which are... Very similar to Virginia possum. They just, it's like really subtle things that look, that are different in the way they look, like the length of the black on the tail or something like that. Oh, cool. Um, Nine-banded armadillo, a kinkajou, which people should just look up because it's yeah. a hard animal to describe. Hard to do, yeah. Um, collared peccaries, which are like javelina for people in the southwest United States. And then the grand prize, a Jaguar, which is definitely like you, you should absolutely not go to Belize and, you know, in hopes of seeing a Jaguar because it's just, what are your chances? And like I said, because we put ourselves in situations where we would, you know, hopefully see animals like by being out before the sun rose and, and things like that. And when we're going to leave a place planning to drive at dawn um, because the Jaguars walk the roads and that's exactly what happened. Um, wow. We were in the Chickable forest, which is this extremely vast and remote rainforest area, um, like along the border with Guatemala and we were just driving out from this field station we were staying at and there was a jaguar walking in the middle of the road. That's incredible. Yeah, it was... We were just like in shock. Yeah. Because you don't expect to actually see one. And it it's obviously... Well, well I don't know if it's like used to cars, but it wasn't afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, our rental car was had like very squeaky brakes, so that kept getting its attention and it would like look around. But we followed it for like two to three minutes. It was probably 100 yards ahead of us. And I got like one photo of its, you know, back uh, backside of it walking away. It was just so dark. Um, 
but then I had the speed, like I was about to get stuck in this mud puddle. So I had to like gun it and that's what scared it off the road, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like I never thought that I would see a Jaguar in the wild, you know? Yeah. That's insane. That's really cool. I think I saw that picture. Um, when you posted it, when you got back. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely the grand prize. Um, but then, and that Camden and I saw that together. And then after Camden left, um, I also added white nosed Kawadi to the list of mammals, um, uh-huh. a central American agouti, which oh. is a, like a large rodent or small, large, medium sized rodent, mm-hmm. um, spider monkeys, which were pretty cool to see. Um, I saw a gray fox, which is, you know, we have those in the States and then white tailed deer, which was a weird thing to see like in the rainforest. Down there? I had no <laughs> yeah. idea. Wow. Yeah, their range goes all the way to South America. I think. I didn't even think about that. They're probably the most widely distributed ungulate in the world. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say. Um, that is so cool. It's so crazy to see it down there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I only saw them one time. Yeah. So I don't know like what their particular habitat preferences are or anyways, that was a that was a weird sighting. Uh-huh. Um and then the herp the herping wasn't that bad. Um saw four frog species, a couple turtles, and then a Morlet's crocodile, which is um is cool. Was cool to see. What's a morelet? Um, I hadn't heard of that one. It's. It looks like virtually the same as a, uh, not a Nile crocodile, an American crocodile. Uh huh. But then they have American crocodiles in Belize, but the American crocodiles are only found along like the mangrove islands, mm-hmm. whereas the morelets is found inland, in, you know, kind of swamps or, or rivers. That's cool. Um, we just saw like a little one that was maybe like four or five feet long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that was cool to see. Um, and then there was so many tarantulas of oh yeah, many different kinds. Like ones that had like these really long, thin legs that were like iridescent blue. And then these like fat ones that were like the size of my hand. Oh, they're just everywhere because we'd yeah. go around at night with like headlamps looking for stuff. Um, lots of ants, different kinds of ants, like leaf cutter ants. Oh, cool. Which were so cool to see. They just have like highways through the forest where it's just nothing but bare dirt. Like you can uh-huh. just see where the leaf cutter ant oh, that's cool. tracks are. And they come out at night and there's just so much activity. Um and I even came across a few ant swarms, which like in the central, in Central America and South America are sort of famed for like blanketing the forest floor and being attended to by like a horde of different bird species. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw a couple of those, which is cool because, and they could just be there, you know, one second and you're like, wow, the entire ground is just crawling with ants. And then you within a matter of seconds, you're like, where the heck did they go? Like they just, Oh wow. They're just marching through the forest. Wow. Um, so that was pretty nuts. That's cool. Um, but of course my trip was bird centered mm-hmm. and I was not disappointed. 
Um, in the two weeks, I saw 280 species of birds. Like, I was, like, just nonstop birding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, obsessive. But 170 of those were new species. That's insane. Because a lot, there's a lot of, like, ones that we either share because their range is up into, the like, southern Texas or something. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of our migrant species spend the winter down there. Right. And that... My goal was to see at least 150 new ones. And so 170 bumped up my life list to 1,009 bird species I've seen in my life. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Yeah. So I'm That's proud awesome. of that. Yeah. Jeez. Um, and I did manage in your last episode, there was a recording of me. I was in Crooked Tree looking for Jabberoo storks. Oh, the Jabberwocky stork. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed. I listened to that while I was there. <laughs> I totally um, thought that's what you were going to say. But uh, I did actually manage a flyover pair, like, really yeah. briefly. Like, I was driving by myself wow. in the middle of the day, and I saw some, like, riding thermals, and I, like, pulled over and got out, and I just was able to see them briefly. And, and that's, those yeah. are really big, right? Yeah, they're huge, which yeah, is right? what yeah. caught my attention. Because there's also wood storks down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, I mean, they're big, but not as big as a jabiru. Like the jabiru is, it's the biggest stork in the Western Hemisphere. I think there's only three, three species of stork in the Western Hemisphere, I want to okay. say. Um, I shouldn't know that because sure. I'm the stork guy. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, they're huge. They're huge. Yeah, yeah. Definitely the biggest bird in Belize. Uh-huh. Um, so it was cool to get a brief glimpse of them. But in March, so it, January is sort of like the beginning of the dry season. Although I guess it's kind of unusual this year. Like it's still raining there. And mm-hmm. it rained a little bit when we were there. Um, actually, Tamda and I were canoeing one day and we got, it's just like, poured for like two hours straight oh wow (laughs) we were just like soaked to our boots and underwear and it was pretty bad (laughs) but um anyways it there's a lot of water there and as the dry season progresses like come march and april is when the water's really low and the water birds just like congregate in Um, the mud flats and so mm -hmm. that's apparently the best time to see the jabberoos because they congregate there because all the fish are getting trapped and it's easy right. to catch them. Cool. Um, and that's also when a lot of species are migrating. Mm. So I'd like to go there in March. I'm thinking about my spring break. Um, yeah. To go again. <laughs> <laughs> it's only like a two hour flight from Texas, which is so weird. Oh, yeah, that's right. It, it really isn't far at all. Like it sounds far, but it's not at all. It's just right across yeah. the little sea. Little C. (laughs) (laughs) That little C. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, Yeah, so the birds were just, it was just amazing. Um, And like I mentioned in that recording from um, at the beginning of this episode, it was lots of migrants Uh that that spend the breeding season with us and then go down there for the non-breeding season. So warblers um so many wood thrushes some flycatcher species some tanagers even woodpeckers um and some a few species of raptors and then even like water birds like some egrets and things that 
come down from the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, that was actually the original like point of my trip or the origin of my trip. I wanted to go see, you know, migrants in, you know, cause I've seen them in the, in the breeding season where they're up here, but I really wanted to see them down there, especially like in our Ebert episode, we talked about the Magnolia warblers and mm-hmm. that um, status and trends from Ebert, the map, the animated map, how like all of the Magnolia warbler population, just like all of them go to central yeah. America for the breeding or the non-breeding season. And um yeah, there were lots of them down there. <laughs> there was a couple <laughs> species of warbler that were just everywhere you looked. So that was pretty cool to, to see that and to just think about how they they migrate across the little sea, <laughs> the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it's just it was just really cool to see that to kind of full circle to have seen them, you know, yeah. up in Maine and then yeah. get to see them in Belize. That is really cool. So you did uh, some birding too. Or bird banding, I should say birding, obviously. <laughs> I was like, are you, what? <laughs> I just you talked kidding? about that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I had been in touch with someone from the Belize Audubon Society because they do a lot of <clears throat> conservation work down there. And they actually manage some of the major wildlife sanctuaries there. And I knew that they were doing, they do there's like bird banding stations during the non-breeding season. Mm -hmm. And I was just interested in, you know, helping out with that, especially because I knew I was going to be there by myself for a little while and I'm new to bird banding. So I just try to jump at every opportunity I can. And yeah, I spent three days in Coxcomb um, with some really fun people that work at the, at the wildlife sanctuary that I became good friends with. Yeah. And, um, I was just helping like check the nets because they have someone that actually does the, the banding, but yeah, we saw a lot of cool species like, a um, lessons, mot mot, which is a really beautiful bird. Um, mm. you should definitely look it up. Yeah. I'll have to, um, warblers and thrushes and even hummingbirds. So uh-huh. it was, it was cool. Um, to see the, some of these birds up close and it was just a, it was a fun way to get to know the guys that work there and to just learn from them. I mean, one of the guys, he's just an absolute like bird call genius. Yeah. He just knows every bird call of oh. all the hundreds of species there. And he definitely helped me to get some, some new species from my list um, because, you know, he could, identify it by the call and then we can go towards it whereas mm-hmm. i'm there just like i hear a call and <laughs> i'm not sure what it is like I, I started to learn because i was so intensively birding i started to learn some of them and i could you know identify them by call mm-hmm. but i remember the first day i was so overwhelmed that i was like stressed out because oh. not only were there just birds everywhere that i didn't know what they were i mean i'd been studying the the species there to so I was familiar but it's just one thing to think you're gonna you know remember it from looking at the book and then to just be seeing them everywhere Mm -hmm. but then the calls there's just you know in the rainforest there's just nonstop bird calls right so I was a little stressed but I got the hang of it it's just you're pretty much nonstop like 
looking at birds because mm-hmm. they're everywhere. So cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the people there are just so amazing in all of Belize. Like I, I met so many great people and it was just really refreshing because everyone was so friendly. Like I'm oh yeah, quite the misanthrope. And <laughs> quite the misanthrope. <laughs> <laughs> is that not being modest about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I disdain um, human presence. Uh, <laughs> I try to get away from people. Um, but I found myself, you know, uh, like some people that I met, like wanting to go back and hang out with them, and and I did. Some this couple that I stayed with, and cool. Um, just everyone, everyone is so friendly. Like even just the strangers that you, whatever, come across on the street or something, mm-hmm. um, which I've just never experienced such a wealth of friendliness. Um, which yeah. is something that makes the country really attractive to me because. It makes me less of a misanthrope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, the wildlife, the people, and then the scenery, it's just amazing there. And there's there are lots of mountains, like the Maya Mountains, which are in like the south and central part of the country, mm-hmm. where you can get up on, you know, on some trails and just be overlooking, like I said, in some of the recordings that I took, just endless rolling mountains of of unbroken rainforest yeah which is just an amazing thing to see for the first time right and then even you get up to this um ecosystem called the mountain pine ridge which is higher elevation pine forest which you don't think about in belize Uh um but it's it's pretty amazing to see and some amazing views of like waterfalls and these just massive canyons yeah it's just it's just got it all. Like I said, there's I don't know why you wouldn't like it there, and I just want to go back so badly. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. And of all the places that I've that I've lived or visited, it it's never been so difficult for me to leave a place as oh. it was when I was leaving Belize. Like even just like emotionally, like I lived in Maine for five years, and I was just like, oh, bye, like moving on. <laughs> and, but I was in Belize for two weeks, and just yeah. flying out of there, I was like, oh my gosh. Maybe it's because I don't enjoy living in Texas and I knew that I was coming back here. Oh, yeah, yeah. That probably had a lot to do with it. Right. But I'm going to do everything in my power to get back there ASAP. Yeah, that's awesome. So question about, like, so the most of the people that you met, like at Cotscombe, um, at the sanctuary, and the people were, like, doing the wildlife work, were they, like... um locals from belize were they coming from like universities like where were they from yeah so with the bird banding um it's there was a guy from the institute for bird populations who um was he's like sort of the he's the most experienced bird bander and so and he him and this other woman from um a university in belize they're the ones that sort of manage the site and then there's people that work locals that work at the wildlife sanctuary that that do the banding so like the one guy who's really good at bird calls luti he's he's the one that does the does the banding and uh-huh um so there's like 
I don't know. It's just how it is in other countries. There's always this like American oversight, you know. Oh, right. But I think that's, I mean, not that that's bad or good, but it's because the Institute for Bird Populations, um, they sort of manage these banding stations across Central America. They're called MOSI stations. And you can... You can go to the Institute for Bird Populations um, website to learn more about that. But most of these stations are bird banding sites that bird band birds during the non-breeding season in Central America. And then probably like what you, well, potentially, I don't know. It, anyways, in the United States and in the breeding range of these species, there's MAPS stations, which do banding during the the breeding season. And so... So that you're getting data at all times of year. Yeah. Um, And so Institute for Bird Populations, you know, manages and sort of is like the institution that ties together these stations. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there was this guy from the Institute there. Yeah. Um, But as far as like working at the refuge or at the sanctuaries, it's it's local people. Belize Audubon, I got to learn a lot more about them from, you know, the people that work there Mm -hmm. with... People with different ex- perspectives, like this one guy who's only worked there for four months and he's younger than me, like just really cool perspectives about w- the work that they do. And they're just so focused on um, tying in conservation with the local communities Cool, and, you know, not making, you know, they have a lot of community projects like to get, whether it's young students interested in in wildlife or to like raise awareness about poaching or something um they just have some for me unique ways of doing things like for anti-poaching it's not like what i've experienced in africa where it's like these armed people where their job is to like catch poachers they have rangers that aren't armed at all which Mm -hmm. is a really interesting concept yeah and are just if they come across people they're just like you know you're not supposed to be here and then it's sort of an opportunity to educate yeah rather than sticking a gun in their face which has some really awesome potential but it also has some dangerous potential you know depending Mm -hmm. on who the poachers are yeah um that's cool yeah so i learned got to learn a lot about the way that belize audubon operates and they just do a lot of cool stuff down there yeah awesome that's really cool yeah i um, well, I was working at the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, the zookeepers go down to, I'm going to get this wrong. I don't know why. I think it was Costa Rica, um, to work with sloths and, um, and I can't remember which sloth, gosh, I'm getting everything wrong, but they would work with sloths and they worked at this, um, management area well not a management area it was like oh it was like a wildlife sanctuary and the it was mostly just foreigners working there and they would raise money and garner interest in the uh with the public by um giving tours to tourists but not to the local people and to me that like that that was confusing to me because i was like why aren't you taking advantage of you know having a good relationship with the local people and you know, the knowledge you could get from that and the cultural knowledge, the, the wildlife knowledge, the landscape knowledge, all that. And they weren't, they weren't doing any of that. And it was really confusing to me. It was like, they were just like this walled up little isolated 
wildlife sanctuary with just a bunch of foreigners and it, it was just really weird to me. So I was curious about how Belize worked because I, I doubted that that was a common thing. I, it just felt really weird. Yeah, I know they're very people, Belize and the people in Belize definitely recognize the resource, the natural resources they have and the value of it. And so people are very much, um, you know, Belizeans are very much involved in, in all the, the, conservation and Mm -hmm. you know ecotourism there and there's there's a lot of it because it's a very diverse country for it being so small um i mean the majority of the tourism is like on the coast on the islands and stuff like all these resorts and things oh yeah um but then those like resorts have like whatever day trips to go visit the Mayan ruins or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's also a, a lot of bird specific ecotourism because the birds there are so, there's so many species and um, some pretty special species. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's lots of birding guides and at lodges and things. And, you know, there's whole, lodges that are very tailored to birders okay cool um so it's it's nice but i mean it's in in my opinion it's you know birders with um that aren't on a budget like I, oh <laughs> like right yeah we just did i just did everything i mean i planned our entire trip every detail like um and that's that's why we also got a rental car because um, so we could go to certain places and do things on our own rather mm-hmm. than doing touristy kind of things. Cause I'm just not into that yeah. I want to do what I want to do. Um, but now I, now I realize that and going back, I definitely won't get a rental car one just to save money, but also the, it's so easy to get around there because the, because there's buses mm-hmm. and I knew there was buses before I went, I just, you know, going somewhere where you've never been, you don't know how easy it is and just certain things about logistics. And now that I know, and people are just so willing to give you rides and it's Mm -hmm. just, it's so easy to get around. You don't really have to worry about it. Um, So I, now I just know a lot more obviously on how to get around and get to places. And now I know people in certain places and um, so it's just a, it's a cool like community of people interested in the in the environment and um it's just so weird how like a lot of people are connected and and things like that so that's cool yeah awesome well one day i'll have to go to yeah i mean like i keep telling people like go there instead of hawaii yeah (laughs) well especially if you're interested in wildlife like obviously i'm approaching it from a wildlife perspective yeah but if you're interested in snorkeling stuff, they have in stuff they have the second largest barrier reef after the uh, in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. And like I said, I didn't even touch the the mm-hmm. coast, the ocean at all, but it's it's there. So you pretty much have everything from um, you know beach island resorts and snorkeling to rainforest to uh, pine forest and you know, where you can swim in rivers and, um, yeah, they just have it all canoeing and yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Pretty special place. So yeah. Okay. 
well, uh, oh, you know what we should do? We should um, post a bunch of your photos on the on the uh, podcast page from Belize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should yeah I'll share. I'll share. I have a, a photography website. Of my oh photos yeah, yeah. And, do that so share I can that. share the my Belize page because yeah. Um, I took. I didn't take a ton of photos, but I, I took um, some photos of highlights and, and things like that mm-hmm. um, yeah so cool yeah we'll definitely do that well welcome back to the united states <laughs> yes i'm so excited i just started <laughs> a new semester Ooh. i also started a new job oh oh right um, the uh conservation job right yeah yeah it's an organization called texan by nature mm-hmm. which was founded by laura bush and she's still very much involved and it's sort of in the private world of conservation, which is this part of the private world is completely new to me. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and our organization basically facilitates relationships for conservation projects. It, the whole point of the conservation of Texan by Nature is bringing together business and conservation mm. for... Um, Yeah, for, you know, for protecting our natural resources and our prosperity and and people and things. And so, yeah, it's a it's a very much a learning experience. It's not like anything I've ever done, but it's way better than substitute teaching because at least it's in my field and I can um, enjoy myself a little more. Yeah. So, yeah, I just started that last week and this is my second week of the semester. And the home stretch for preparing for my field work in Zambia in June. Yeah, man. It's going to be here before you know it too. Yeah, it's pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to be good though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Okay, so uh, just to end with a sustainability tip that um, I thought of because I read an article on Manga Bay that we'll share in the show notes um, about recycling your old cell phones because if you are unaware, um, cell phone batteries contain an ore called Colton, which is mined in Central Africa. Mm -hmm. And obviously with the explosion of cell phones, um, Colton mining has contributed to significant levels of deforestation in the Congo basin of central Africa, which has obviously been problematic for a lot of wildlife species. But one of the ones that is most notable is the Grower's gorilla, which is a subspecies of the Eastern gorilla. Um, Their populations have declined by 77% in the past 20 years, primarily due to Colton mining. Um, And like I said, of course this affects thousands of other species but so instead of of chucking your old phone in the trash like i guess some people do i wouldn't i've never heard of anyone doing that but yeah obviously it's an issue i'm sure um, people do it yeah instead of doing that um you can recycle it by giving it to a friend who wants a free phone um don't let them throw away their old phone though mm-hmm. and that's 
like I've never actually bought a smartphone. I just have people's old smartphones. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one way for recycling. And then the other way you can recycle it is to actually physically, you know, put it in a recycling bin, which is not just like the one that picks up recycling at your curb. Um, but at most major zoos have special recycling bins for cell phones. Um, and if you don't live near a zoo where you can do this, there's a company called EcoCell that you can look up and, and find out how to recycle your phone with them. And like I said, we'll share the Manga Bay um, link to this article about cell phone recycling. It has more details about EcoCell and um, Growler's Gorilla. So that's the sustainability tip for today. Okay, so yeah, um, thank you for your stories about Belize. Uh, it's been a while since our last episode, and that's just because I can't seem to keep myself on track when you're in another country. <laughs> I only did like one very short episode; we were gone, but um, we're, <laughs> we'll be back on schedule now. And uh, now that Joan is here, back to uh, keep us on track, we'll be back on schedule. So yeah. Um, yeah, so if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to contact us on Facebook or Instagram at Conservation Chronicles. You can also email us at conservationchronicles at gmail.com. Uh, we would like to get more listener email. And our website where you can listen to other episodes is conservationchronicles.podbean.com. And you can also listen to other episodes on whatever podcast platform you use. Ah!